section will be in Ephesians chapter 3 tonight. If you want to turn there, we'll be there in just a minute. As we begin, let me ask you, how, how did you learn to pray? We obviously, uh, we, we don't have classes here at Faith on how to, how to learn to pray. Um, most people I've talked to don't go to take class on how to pray. And yet hopefully all of us do pray every day and often throughout the day. So how did, how did you learn to pray? It's always interesting to me whether praying with people from Faith like we did at Prayer Week, which was a great week and so encouraging this year, or, or in the different churches I visited across the U.S., or even as I've gone across, uh, across the sea to different, um, uh, different countries, um, people from different cultures, different backgrounds, yet all communicating with God uh, through prayer. And I found that most people learn to pray from those they listen to while they're growing up. Or shortly, if they didn't get saved at a young age, shortly after they did uh, get saved, from being around those people that they were first around after they uh, got saved. Often children will pray a lot like their parents, if they grew up in a Christian home. And sometimes people will even pray like their pastors, if that's their closest example. If, uh, if they're like me, uh, I grew up in a church that um, the pastors were from Bob Jones University, and they used the King James Bible. And uh, grew up, I grew up hearing people um, preach and uh, pray in Old English. And so I might hear uh, prayers that sounded like this. We, we thank thee, O Lord, Father Almighty, Eternal God, that thou hast brought us through the night to this morning hour. And things, things along, that, along that line. And, and people in church would often pray using Old English terms because that's what they heard in the King James Version and that's what they heard uh, from their parents and uh, from their pastors. Or if you grew up in a more casual Christian church, you might hear uh, people while you're growing up pray like this. Hey God, it's, it's me, Steve, again. Thanks for helping me sleep last night. I really need it. And, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with either prayer as people reverently communicate with God. I can't say that there's, any, there's nothing wrong with, with either uh, type of prayer. Uh, even though it may sound odd or uh, funny to us. But in wanting to learn more about how to pray for others, I decided to look at some of the prayers that we find in the Bible. And uh, there are great prayers as you can imagine, recorded for us throughout the Bible. And I'd encourage you to do your own study of, of, of the many prayers in the Bible. But uh, there's Hannah's prayer for a son, recorded in 1 Samuel 2. There's Hezekiah's prayer for deliverance in 2 Kings 19. Uh, there's Solomon's prayer for wisdom in uh, 1 Kings. And uh, so many of David's prayers are recorded for us throughout the Psalms. Uh, even Jonah's prayer from inside the belly of a, a great fish. And in the New Testament, of course, there's Jesus' model prayer for us in Matthew 6. And his prayer before his betrayal in John 17. And what I ended up focusing in on was Paul's prayers in Ephesians uh, chapter 1 and, and 3 for the believers. 
And it was that prayer that we're going to look at tonight here in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21 for the believers in Ephesus that I found particularly helpful and actually a favorite, it's a favorite passage that Chris and I will often put when we sign cards. We'll put that oftentimes at the bottom of, of, the, of the card, although it's never been a passage that I've really studied out. I've never uh, preached a message on it uh, before, so I found this to be really enjoyable, although I didn't, didn't uh, get as far as I wanted to necessarily, but there's, there's a lot in this passage, and uh, so that's one we're going to focus here on tonight, and and let me warn you ahead of time, this, this prayer of Paul's is uh, full to overflowing uh, with gems and nuggets of truth. And, um, and as I mentioned, I'm not going to get to it all tonight, so I'd encourage you to study it more on your own. So if you're not there already, please uh, turn to Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21, where Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. As I said before, there's a lot in this prayer. But to, to try and put the main idea of this prayer, very simply, Paul is saying to us t- tonight, in order for us to be right, to be able to live right on the outside, we must be first changed on the inside. In order for us to be able to live right on the outside, we must first be changed on the inside. And let, me, let me begin with a little background information here. That... Uh, the video did a great job. I mean, if, if you paid it, if you're able to catch it on that video, it, there's a lot in the book of Ephesians. And uh, in, the, in the first half of Ephesians 1 through 3, Paul is describing in, in great detail what God has done in Christ for all believers, spiritually, positionally, and internally for Jews and Gentiles alike. And then in the second half of Ephesians uh, chapters 4 to 6, he goes and he, he challenges the Ephesian believers on how they should live out those truths in, the, in their lives. And the passage that we're looking at here tonight, verses 14 to 21, is kind of a, a bridge between those two sections in which he begins with, for this reason, in verse 14. That's, and that's the reason why he is praying and you might ask, well, for, for what reason? Because we see the same phrase in chapter 3, verse 1, for this reason. And if you go back even a little further to chapter 1, verse 15, you see it again, for this reason. So what is this big reason that Paul is, is so motivated to pray this prayer for the believers? I think chapter 2 talks about how, how we are saved, and it ends with explaining how the gospel is not only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. And because of that great truth, the unity now that Jews and Gentiles can have together in the church just blew Paul away. 
And so he begins with, in verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. He says, I, Paul, I bow my knees before the Father. He's uh, saying he's getting, on his knees, he's getting on his knees in prayer. And now there's, throughout the Bible, there's a lot of different postures that people take when praying. Um, we see in Psalm 5 that people bowed, just like we often do today. We'll bow, we ask people to bow their, their heads before we pray out of respect and reverence for God. Um, most, probably most common, people would stand when they would pray. Um, and uh, Solomon, when he de- dedicated the temple, he knelt, but all the rest of the people uh, stood in Second Chronicles chapter 6. Uh, we also see where people just flat out laid flat, prostrate on the ground. They, when they were um, devastated, uh, when they were... Um, in the depths of despair, or when they were out of complete and utter respect, you'd see Moses, he fell on his face before the presence of the Lord in number 16. Uh, Joshua did it as well, and so did Job. Uh, we also see throughout the Psalms, people praying with their hands raised, uh, signifying praise, as, re- as is uh, recorded so often there throughout the Psalms. And then, of course, we see that people knelt. Daniel Daniel prayed in chapter 6 after finding out that the decree had been signed that could very well have ended his life. Uh, Stephen, as he was being stoned to death, fell to his knees in prayer in Acts 7. Uh, Jesus in the garden in Luke 22, before his betrayal, before his trial, before his crucifixion, knowing what was about to happen, was on his knees in prayer. In each of those situations, these people were facing intense situations and were kneeling in prayer as a sign of humility and complete dependence upon God to work in prayer through the, in their situation. And that's where we find Paul. Paul begins on his knees before God, complete dependence, wanting God to answer these prayer requests. And Paul then names three areas that he's praying for in the Ephesian believers, each set up by the, the Greek word henna, if, you're, if you like to look at, at the Greek, often translated that. And we see the first point in verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul prayed for the Ephesian believers to have power in their inner being, the inner being is simply referring to the center of who they are. We, we would call it their heart today. Um, you'll often sometimes hear someone even speak of uh, going through a challenging time in their life without complaining or bad attitude. And you'll hear and it, you, someone say, like, how strong, admire how, how strong they are. Well, they're, they're referring to being strong, not physically, but how strong internally they are in their heart to be able to go through that tough, difficult time and being so strong. Uh, sometimes, as it is uh, informative to know what, what Paul doesn't pray for as much as what he does pray for. I know oftentimes when we, pr- when we share prayer requests and pray for one another, our prayer requests are, are very external in nature. Um, the things that are right in front of us, things like uh, praying for jobs and, and sickness and, and help with even tests or projects, all those things that are in our day-to-day face that where we feel the strain and pressure. And there's nothing wrong with praying for these things. We see that Paul did in 2 Corinthians 12. He said, 
Uh, so to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Paul prayed for healing. So there's, there's nothing wrong with praying for healing. However, as I surveyed the, the many prayers recorded for us by Paul, I think this was the minority of his prayers was about healing and uh, the external things of life. I saw where Paul prayed for the salvation of different people groups. I saw where he prayed for God's will to be done, for unity among the believers, for, for believers to have hope. He prayed that he might get out of prison. Many times he expressed his thankfulness to God. He prayed for comfort and peace and encouragement and endurance, for wisdom and understanding, for power in his preaching. He prayed for peace. He prayed for power for sharing the gospel. And probably too often, I think, probably our prayers and our focus is on the externals of life. I admit that I'm, I'm guilty of it as, as well. The things that are right in front of us that hit us day in and day out. And my prayers for my family, the members of our small group, people in our church. And my, my thoughts and prayers gravitate towards asking God to meet their immediate physical needs or desires as, as opposed to praying for them to be strengthened in their heart and in their walk with God. However, the, more, the older I get, the more I recognize uh, the need for inner strength. I'm reminded of this often as I see people uh, in our church family go through real serious difficulties, whether it be health or otherwise. Uh, whether it's a sudden loss of a family member or getting difficult news from the doctor or dealing with constant weakness and pain or uh, debilitating physical problems. Uh, many who, unless you knew them very well, you'd never know that they were struggling with anything. I know when various of the pastors go and, and visit people, whether it's in the hospital or at home, knowing of their difficulties and wanting to encourage them, um, often after hearing their testimonies of their faith and strength, walk away more encouraged by, by them than, than they accomplished in trying to encourage uh, the people that are struggling because of their internal strength. And that's exactly what Paul was talking about, being, being strengthened internally so that as we face great difficulties in life, we can respond in faith, confident of what God is doing in our lives, in his love for us, that his will and his plan for us is good. And so Paul prays for God to help them be strengthened in their inner being. But not only that, but Paul also continues, and he prays that believers might understand and grasp the limitless love of Christ. Look at with, with me at verses 17 to 19. He says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul's praying that the believers would be strong like a tree, rooted and grounded. But not just rooted and grounded, but rooted and grounded in love. <clears throat> if you're familiar with Paul's letters, they're filled with him challenging believers to live out their lives in love. In fact, in the book of Ephesians alone, we see Ephesians 1.4, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. And 3.17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts 
um, having been, uh, again, that's our passage, being rooted and established in love. And 4.2, putting up with one another in love, 4.15, but speaking the truth in love, 4.16, uh, the growth of the body makes for the building up of itself in love, and, and 5.2, and live in love. And the rest of his letters echoed the same, talking about how our interaction with one another ought to be characterized, in particular, right here in the church, our interactions with one another ought to be characterized by love. And it's interesting that as he, he, he notes in verse 18, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. God has designed for us to grow spiritually in our understanding of him and his great love for us in the dynamic of the church. Not the church building, but in the church, the church people. God designed for us to grow in our knowledge of him and our love for him together with God's people. It's God's plan that we learn and understand and grow together with others in the church. We're not designed to go it alone. In fact, I think one of the most damaging effects of this pandemic is that it has pushed many Christians to fear being together in the body. It has caused many people to live in fear, period. I know, I know of, um, of people who live in the same town as their parents with their grandchildren, and they, haven't been, they have not seen each other, gotten together for years out of fear. And I realize that you, if you listen to all the news stories, it's difficult for anyone to not be afraid. But this fear has infiltrated our churches as well, and believers are missing out on the growth and the fellowship and ministry God has designed for them to be a part of. But notice what Paul is praying for and the words he's using. He prays in verse 18 that you might have strength. Talking about the ability to, being fully able to, to comprehend, and in verse 19, to know. He's praying for believers to fully grasp Christ's love for them. And so he uses measurement terms. Breadth and length and height and depth. As if there is a measurement to be able to measure love. And wouldn't it be nice if, it, wouldn't it be nice if, if you could measure love? But how would you measure it? Would you measure it in gallons? Or feet? Or pounds? It might actually be helpful in counseling situations when faced, you know, with a couple. You might say to the wife, well, I, I see that you have two tons of love for this man. But, but sir, I, I see about ten pounds of love for your wife. There's a real inequity here. But it's, difficulty, it's uh, difficult to accurately measure love. I know you might have seen children actually say, I, you know, I love you what, this much, right? And parents would say, well, I love you to the moon and back. And we use these phrases to try and measure how much, how much we love, but it's difficult to measure love. And, and that's basically what Paul is saying about Christ's love in this prayer. He, you could read it that, that you might be able to measure the unmeasurable love of Christ and, and to know the love of Christ that is beyond our ability to know. And sometimes these truths are best captured in, in some of our, our songs and hymns. The writer of the hymn, The Love of God, does an amazing job trying to describe this as he wrote, Could we with ink the ocean fill, 
And where the skies of parchment made, where, where every stock on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. I would encourage you as you spend time with God in the coming weeks to sing, to sing this hymn and continue to grow in your knowledge of the love of God's great love for you. And Paul continues in verses 18 and 19 to comprehend and to know. Paul's using these, these thinking terms, these understanding terms. He, he wants us to really, 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 really grasp and understand the love of Christ so that it, it changes not only how we think about him, but how we feel and therefore how we live. And that's really, you know, I think that's one of the benefits of, of our musical dramas. I've heard it from, as Pastor Walker did, of, of people in our community that have really been impacted by the musical dramas. And in particular, our Easter musical drama, and, and really many of the films that have done a good job with all their faults of, of depicting Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. To see not only how he lived, but how he, he was tortured and suffered and crucified for us. For all the times that this has been depicted, depicted in our dramas over the 25 years that I've been here, I know of people who still, as they see Jesus, they, they practice for weeks and weeks, right? And they know what's going to happen. They know, they, they know the characters, but as they're in the choir and they're seeing it happen, because of, because of uh, how accurately it is, the impactful it is, people in our own choir will struggle to get through the songs without crying because of the impact it's such a moving depiction of the truth of what Christ endured for us. And that's powerful for us to see that and feel Christ died and he was tortured and he suffered for us such to understand and grasp his love. And that's what Paul is praying for. And lastly, Paul continues in verse 19 with something that's a little confusing. He says in verse 19 that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul is praying that uh, believers would be filled with all the fullness of God. But, but that along with two other of, of what Paul's prayer requests are confusing because he appears to be praying for things that we're told elsewhere we already have. Let me, let me tell you what I'm talking about. First he prays in verse 17 so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. However, throughout his own letters, he writes about Christ dwelling or being in believers. Romans 8.10, but if Christ is in you, 2 Corinthians 13.5, that Jesus Christ is in you, Galatians 2.20, but Christ who lives in me, Colossians 1.27, which Christ is in you. So if Christ lives and dwells in all believers, why does Paul pray for that to happen? Similarly, in verses 18 and 19, Paul prays that the believers would know the love of Christ, but throughout the New Testament, He's, it speaks of believers knowing the love of God and Christ. And here again in verse 19, he prays that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. But Ephesians 1, 27, Colossians 2, 9, and 10 talk about how believers are filled with the fullness of God. So why do we read here that Paul is praying for believers to get what he says elsewhere they already have? Well, I think the answer, the answer is that there's a difference between, between the two conditions. I think there's a difference between Christ dwelling in you and Christ dwelling in you. Between 
knowing the love of Christ and really knowing the love of Christ, between being filled with all the fullness of God and really being filled. I think the easiest way to explain is to see the difference between an intellectual understanding of truth and a practical understanding of the truth. I can think of when, if you were to ask me as a a 10-year-old boy, do your parents love you? I would have answered, yes. My parents tell me they love me every day. I know my parents love me. If you were to ask me now as a 51-year-old man, do your parents love you? I would answer the same, not only now, not with just an intellectual knowledge. Yes, my parents love me. But now with an incredibly deeper, fully fuller understanding of how incredibly much my parents love me after a lifetime of knowing and experiencing their love. The same would be true if you asked me on our wedding day if Chris loved me compared to now after 24 years of marriage of, of knowing and seeing that love lived out in our relationship, I would know much more experientially the love of my wife. The preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones Jones was a preacher at Westminster Chapel in London for almost 30 years. It said that sometimes as he was counseling Christians in his church who were struggling with various fears, anxieties, and troubles, he would ask them, are you really a Christian? Hey, he recounts that often enough, they would respond, well, I'm trying, to which he would explain that having a relationship with Christ isn't about trying It's not about what we do, but about putting our faith and trust in Jesus' death on the cross for their sins. And when he would explain that truth, they would would often reply with the lines of, yeah, 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 I know that. And while he wasn't trying to get them to doubt their salvation, he was pointing out that the inner reality of knowing Christ as their Savior hadn't done for them in their hearts. It wasn't affecting the way they thought, felt, and lived. Paul was praying earnestly for the believers that they would have such a deep and abiding grasp of God's love that it would radically change not only how they thought, but how they felt and and how they lived. And Paul is praying for believers to have strength to be able the ability to comprehend and to know the love of Christ. So as Paul was writing from a Roman prison for these believers in Ephesus, he knew what it would take for them to be able to live the Christian life. He knew that they must be gripped by the immensity of the Christ's gospel love for them on the inside in order for them to live out Christ's gospel love to the rest of the world. And so Paul concludes his prayer with a great doxology. If doxology is an unfamiliar term to you, it comes from the Greek word doxa for glory, and it just simply speaks of the doxological purpose behind creation that our existence is to glorify God. And so Paul writes in verses 20 and 21, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's close in prayer.
Obviously, I'm, I'm not Paul, but I, I'd like to pray for you like Paul did tonight. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, that he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be able to be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.